0: Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organise Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me was reborn as a podcast in 2020 to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organise Curate Design, I welcome you to Season 2, another year of sharing the stories of inspirational women. Welcome to another episode of She Inspires Me. This morning I'm recording with the lovely Nikki Hind. Nikki, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much.
1: I feel um I feel very very privileged to to be here. What a what a lovely podcast to be on. Now,
0: I am going to get stuck in, we have a really meaty bio that I am going to share with our listeners. So, let me share a little bit about you with them. So, Nikki Hind is the founder of Blind Grit, single mother to two brilliant boys and Australia's first legally blind fashion designer. A lifetime love of fitness, fashion design and social justice has been brought together to create Blind Grit. However, the catalyst was a determined desire to find a new way of expressing the best of herself through her work after being left permanently legally blind by a stroke, at the same time as she became a mother for the first time. This legal blindness coming into her life at the same time as motherhood meant her primary focus was on her amazing new baby and being a mum, rather than being legally blind. It wasn't until a whole decade later that Nikki had the chance to even stop and think about the implications of her legal blindness and her own aspirations. By this time, a series of traumatic events out of her control had left her financially ruined and struggling with isolation and crushing fears. Nikki was determined not to be broken, not to remain crushed. Fashion design had always been her happy place, Create um, a creative space she went to in her mind when she daydreamed. When several doors in her practical life slammed shut, it seemed an excellent opportunity to open the d- dismissed fashion designer door. So in 2015, Nikki set herself the challenge of creating her first fashion collection ready to enter the Pre d Marie Claire Awards in November of that year. See Me, the first collection by Nikki. Amusingly the PR manager at Murray Claire called Nikki upon receipt of the entry to say thank you very much however the fashion design component of the pre D Marie Claire award was on every second year and 2015 wasn't a year that it was on that uh, but they didn't bin the collection and it was sent both to both the fashion editor and the chief editor who was interested in the story in the press release encouraged by what she chose to see a tiny vote of confidence from an industry giant. Nikki decided um, this was worthy of her absolute best shot, and the idea of blind grit was born. Oh my goodness! I love this story so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have I have so many questions, and I was like <laughs> looking through all my notes last night before we were recording, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to dive in. So let's let's get stuck in. Um, Can we, before we talk about blind group, because there's so much to talk about and 2015 and all of those things, we will get to that, but I just want to dive into your stroke um, and that, because that's such a turning point and it's such a pivotal point in this story. Um, What, how old were you when this happened and, and how did this all come about? I know strokes are one of those things that no one's kind of planning for, but talk us through what was going on at that point in time.
1: Yeah, actually, unbeknownst to me, I had been having um, mini strokes for for years, but I didn't actually, I didn't really know because um, I was, you know, teenage years and in my 20s. Um and you just think you're invincible, and you just kind of dismiss them. I'd actually been to to um, casualty in hospital a few times. Mm. With you know, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't move, but I could hear everything that was going on. Mm. Um, and certainly, sometimes this was after having. Um, a couple of drinks when I was out with friends but but never more than two or three drinks. And oh, it was awful because the doctors being, you know, being the age I was and yeah. being dressed up clearly have gone to a nightclub and having yeah. had one or two, I think a maximum of three drinks, um, they would be, I could hear them asking um, What have you taken? What What drugs are you on? You know, the presumption that I had taken, that I'd taken drugs um, and I couldn't speak. (laughs) I can hear Mm. and I can't move and I must have so looked like I'd taken drugs and I didn't know what it was. And as soon as you go home, you think, oh, maybe I didn't drink enough water or I don't know. Yeah, just assume it was you, yeah. Yeah, um, so I... It, but it wasn't until a long time after I was diag- after I, um, after I eventually had the, the um, diagnosis of it's um, inefficient tissue plasminogen activator is is the name of of the disorder. Which I'm a mm-hmm. lifetime Doctor Who fan and have raised my boys as Doctor Who fans. So it, to me, it sounds like some Doctor Who. <laughs> it does a little bit a little bit <laughs> and it's apparently really really rare my haematologist when she finally found it was so excited that I think she um wrote a paper on it because it's incredibly incredibly rare but happily not that hard to control once you know what it is once once you mm-hmm. found it um and again the stroke happened the stroke that wiped out The vision happened in a strange way. I don't exactly know when it happened. And I thought I was in a little world of my own with this until um, early ish 2020, year of the COVID, um, which was also year of the podcast for me. And um, the Stroke Foundation was interviewing me with someone from Vision Australia and a few other experts. And when I was telling this story, they said that that's quite common I didn't know I because I try and tell people I don't know I don't know I don't remember the stroke happening and they th- because usually I, when you hear stories I, of a stroke it's very apparent that you're having the stroke um, yeah but I don't recall it happening it may have happened under an aesthetic. I don't know I was also pregnant with my beautiful first son and yeah, it wow. was a very um Unbeknownst to me, it was a high-risk pregnancy. I had lost um, three pregnancies previous to Darcy all at about the three-and-a-half, four-month mark, Um, and they did not know – they didn't know what was doing it. And in Australia, after the third consecutive um, miscarriage, they – They they check you out and they do a little autopsy on the on the little baby and they uh, just to see what's going on, Mm. and they couldn't find anything. They just didn't know, and I was so upset. And uh, three and a half, I think it was more like four months into my pregnancy with Darcy, I had to go to hospital because I was bleeding and in lots of pain. This was on a Sunday, and the doctors. The doctor said, your, um, your, your uterus has opened. I'm sorry, you've lost the baby. Mm. Um, and because it was a Sunday evening, there was no anaesthetist there to do a DNC. So they sent me home and said, come back tomorrow. They said, you may, you may naturally miscarriage. Um, for those of you out there who've had a miscarriage, you know that's Um, that literally happens in the toilet which is heartbreaking the thought of it is just Mm. awful um and to come back in the morning and I actually went home and took heaps of Nurofen because it's all I had because I was um in pain and I was also just so cross at myself so upset I was so upset so I took too many Nurofen um more, more as in Probably d- d- double the dose. Not very yeah, bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I went in the next day, they were going to take me in and have the DNC, but they, you know, did all the pre stuff, tested for the heartbeat, mm. and they said there's a there's a heartbeat there. Um, and yeah, so so. That, and that's my little miracle man, Darcy. Yeah, <laughs> He was wow. still there and they did all sorts of tests and my obstetrician put me on Clexane, which is a blood thinner, um, without knowing what was wrong. But later when we found out what it was, you just can't carry a baby full term with the disorder that I have, always at, you, you know, kind of three and a half to four and a half months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The baby will die because there are always natural blood clots as part of pregnancy, and they go across mm. the placenta. And you essentially give the baby a massive heart attack or a stroke. You, you block off the. I and I think because nurofen is is aspirin based, that it may have just been enough to let some of the platelets to thin it out slide. I do not know, but that was a presumption of the of the doctors. So mm. I, so so I was constantly uh, all throughout that pregnancy. I had. You know, it was just an odd pregnancy with odd things going on. So I will have had the stroke mm-hmm. sometime during that pregnancy, possibly when they thought I was losing him, and I just did not know. I'd always been blind in one eye since birth, so I only have had one eye that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt that I noticed my vision was appalling. I knew mm-hmm. something was wrong. I couldn't see properly, and it seemed to be getting worse. But they couldn't do that much until after I had the baby. I mean, they checked my eyes. My eyes seemed fine and, of course, it's a brain injury. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. the eye as such. It was, yeah. it was a brain injury that wiped out the processing of um, 50% of the field of vision in both eyes. So I can't mm-hmm. see out of one of them anyway. So I could see now out of half of half of one and they weren't sure what it was. Uh, what it what it was. But and I'm not sure exactly when it happened.
0: Yeah. Wow. But sometimes in that in that time period of the three to four month mark, most likely, basically. Yeah. This moment yes, yes. in time. Mm. Wow. It is hard enough being pregnant or being a new mum. But that is um, you know, such a sign of the resilience that you already have and and um it's just so I've got goosebumps just listening to you because I, you know, I've got children of my own and and uh, yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of our listeners are parents and and very much understand um, I, the difficulty I, um, of that time.
1: I because my vision seemed to be getting worse, but of course, again, those who have been pregnant, pregnancy puts a lot of pressure in you, on your body, and you don't necessarily notice. Um, notice some of the changes and it, it does affect your vision but when you've got fairly good vision you would not notice yes. but because I had bugger all vision left by that stage mm-hmm. as the pregnancy went on it seemed to be getting worse I seemed to be going I seem to be getting more blind
0: yes. um
1: so when I had and they were aware of this and they're looking into it um and th- that they had all sorts of worries so I thought I would go I I thought I would become completely blind which I was certainly very upset about because I'd spent you know a whole whack of my life being able to see so that feels like a dreadful big loss but I did have this lovely baby coming and when when Darcy arrived and I could see the detail in his Face. and when they found the scar in my brain and were able to say it's not um it's not getting worse it's not degenerative it you know it should stay, stay stable Sorry. Yeah. and i could yeah. see the because i'm lucky i can see detail but kind of fleetingly um mm-hmm. so i could i could see the, i could see my baby's face and yeah. it's like nothing else mattered and i thought oh Fine. Don't worry about
0: it then. doesn't matter. Yeah. Everything's good. Yeah. Wow. And is that how that works in the sense of being classed as legally blind? Like what are the different categories for, for me who doesn't really know and, and maybe our listeners who, who don't really understand the different phrasing, um, like you phrase it as legally blind. What is, what's the scale? How does that work?
1: Yeah, and I guess the thing you know when you when you say to somebody when you talk about blindness, people tend to think of somebody who cannot see at all. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody with perhaps the dog, the cane, the glasses, and who yeah, and people think it means you cannot see it all, or you can perhaps mm-hmm. just see shades of different different movement. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, and in reality. By far the majority of people with vision impairment or blindness are are what you would term legally blind. The reason I use the term legally blind is, um, Carolyn, I know you can see me, Mm. I'm aware I don't look blind. I, I don't think I look yeah. impaired I think people would No understand. you don't and even as we're hmm.
0: talking right now in your expressions so as my eyes move around the I'm looking at the at your face and even the things in the background of the uh, cuz so we can see each other I know that hmm. listeners cannot see us but that's <laughs> the joy of audio um, but um, but in the way that you express yourself and the way that your eyes move during a conversation I completely agree with you. If I had just met you, I wouldn't know. So that in itself can be very confusing to people that don't have an understanding of blindness.
1: For sure. Um, so, you know, the, the correct terminology for my vision impairment would be that I am blind. Vision Australia call me Australia's first blind fashion designer and in mm. some places I write Australia's first blind fashion designer because mm-hmm. once once you have lost a certain amount of vision, and it can be in all sorts of different ways, it can be you know an amount of visual field that you've lost, or it can be um, the sharpness, or so there are so many different. It, it it ends up being a bit of a mathematical equation, I guess. Yeah. That once you're past a certain a certain percentage of Mm -hmm. your eyes not functioning, then Mm -hmm. you are declared Mm -hmm. blind. Um, I call myself legally blind just because I feel very lucky and very aware of what I can see. And it's amazing what your brain feels in um, because I know you're Mm -hmm. there. Uh, It's incredible. And when I'm in new situations, I'm very, I get all of a sudden aware of just how blind I am <laughs> when I'm wandering yeah. around in familiar situations. Yeah, I feel like I can see just fine. I have no peripheral vision at all, none at all, because it's inside half of one eye that, that works. Mm-hmm. But when I'm wandering around in, in society for the majority of the time, I feel like I do. Because I kind of know, you know, you know the roads over there, you know, there are houses Mm -hmm. on that side and you just
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and I guess whatever's in front of you then comes back to beside you and you feel like you can still see it. I don't really know. The brain's amazing. It's it's just incredible what it feels, what it feels in for me. But um, of course, I have no depth perception or or distance um, because you need two eyes for that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. something else that people kind of don't necessarily think of is how fatiguing it is. And I don't know if it's extra fatiguing for someone like me who actually tries to visually take in their world. Mm -hmm. I feel like I still rely quite heavily on trying to visually take in what's going on. Sometimes I feel like, oh my God, I want those dark glasses and I need to just close my eyes it's exhausting yeah. you know in the supermarket for instance just trying to take in and I go to my own supermarket so I know where things are oh, it's, it's, so familiar. It, yeah. it's it's very very fatiguing so mm-hmm. I get very fatigued and I think especially as women and mums I think we give
0: ourselves
1: such a hard time about being fatigued like pull yourself together and just keep going and and it's hard to know what's just you know it's just another fatigue and with the rest of the fatigues yeah. and you just no. yeah and I, I I try and describe to people it's a little bit like when you're um when you're dreaming you know, you know when you're seeing something in a dream, you feel like you can see it all, but then if you try and grab a hold of any detail, it's kind of not there. It disappears. It's weird. Wow. And you can't tell quite where things are, but you think you know and so it also makes me feel a bit nauseous especially when I'm trying to actually take things in when I'm in a new situation. Because if you think of wandering through life with it looking like a dreamscape and trying to make sense of that, it's a bit nauseating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm very lucky. I've, I've, most of the time I wander around feeling like I can see just fine and then I knock glasses over and walk into things and whatever. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, wow. that's Thank you for sharing that with me um, or with us. Um, i I one of the things I love about having my own podcast is I get to learn things every day or every week um, from different people. And um you know I don't I know of a few, I have a few people kind of in my periphery that um that are blind. Um but I don't know them personally. there's a there's a child, there's a girl at my son's school who's blind. and um, the school has done an amazing job with educating us and providing um, parents and other kids lots of information. But I've never sat down and chatted to her personally and all her parents mm-hmm. about her blindness and how that impacts her. So um, even just the understanding of all the the you know, the complication or the calculations of how you are formally, class is blind and then as you said all the things your brain tries to fill in if if you haven't completely lost your sight so wow thank you um i love 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 the word grit i think it is such a great word i um i love it for so many reasons um being in a business sense i've been in business now for quite some time and You need a bit of grit to get through a good business um, or to keep one alive. Um, But for me, when I – I actually read about you in an article and that's what prompted me to reach out to have you on as a guest. And when I saw your business name, I was like, oh, that's such a good – it's just so good. Um, But where do you think that grit or resilience for – a different word that we all hear all the time. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from in you? Like what is it something that you feel that you just naturally have or do you have to work at it? Or how how does that come for you?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And the difference between the word grit and the word resilience, because the word resilience does get overused. And one of the things that used to drive me insane and still does. <laughs> uh, which is totally off on a tangent, as I promised I would. Um, <laughs> I, um, tangent's a great one. We can chat all day. <laughs> I use it all the time in regards to children. Our children are resilient, you know, so whatever's going on in their life, it's almost just kind of accepted and dismissed, our children are so resilient. Um, and I think, wow, you know, what, what are you supposed to do as a child? explode go go to like um and yeah maybe the difference between resilience and grit is one is a one is a more conscious determined Mm. push out of your comfort zone whereas yeah resilience is getting is getting through that discomfort isn't yeah. it but anyway that is I agree with is you. So I much. completely yeah. agree
0: with you. the two words though they can be bundled together are very different and even when I hear the word grit like I think of really like crawling your way out of something and like y- you don't come out of a gritty situation unscarred like you work at it and and it leaves something with you and because you fought really hard to get through the thing. Um, when resilience is,
1: it's it, almost it's like similar, surviving. Yeah, resilience yeah. is almost like surviving, and there can be. A, like I think when you talk about grit, the reason I chose is it's, it's um, it's sexy. It's valuable. It's prestigious. It's cool. It's mm. awesome. Who wouldn't want to have grit? You know? It's yeah. Like, it's really edgy. Such I love it. Amazon woman, you know, grit. Yeah. Um, whereas resilience is more, it can, can have a slight um, victim connotation, as in you had to get through something. Mm, um, that's true. Yeah. I can yeah, see coming from that. Um, and it doesn't necessarily um, bring a strong picture of what that looks like mm. on the other end. But I know what it looks like on the other end and anybody who's had to genuinely use their resilience knows what it looks like on the end Um, and it's frigging grit. It's kick-ass. Grit is kick-ass. Yeah. 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 Uh, So so where
0: did that kick-ass come from in you?
1: (laughs) You know what? I reckon, and this will sound so trite, I reckon it just comes from optimism. Optimism, and this will sound even worse than trite, optimism (laughs) and love. Oh, but I love that. You know, when you're driven by love, it came from just being, just, you know, being, it's like being absolutely driven. I, you know, I am not, I'm not accepting anything less than the best of me and mm-hmm. a life that is worth emulating to my children. That's what it comes from. I want it to look, I want my efforts in life and my life, what I do with it, my kids are watching. <laughs> my kids are watching me as their main role model. Um, so that is driven by love and I—and uh, fierce. Like love is not, you know, fierce love, not... Um, There's there's softness in love, obviously, but a fierce love, um, that lioness love, you know. Um, But also optimism. I'm such an optimist. They say that I don't see any point being anything else. (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to be an optimist? Why wouldn't you want to be? Um, I wouldn't want to see the
0: best in things.
1: And Hmm. you know, they say if you if you find yourself drowning in shit, don't stop swimming. That's not where you want to die. Yeah. <laughs> that's not where you want to die. <laughs> I want to get out of this and put some sequins on and go dancing. I don't want to drown in this oh. shit. Um, oh, it, love that. <laughs> it's, don't um, drown in shit. Don't drown in shit. Get out of it and, Yeah, don't stop crazy. swimming there. <laughs> Hell no. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm a massive optimist um, and not a... Not a um, wishy-washy blind optimist. I see proof all the time of why one should bother being an optimist. Um, yeah, and it's a strong thing. Optimism, optimism, and love. Yeah. that I think that's where that grit comes from. That yeah, and it's fierce. It's like, yeah. like I said. It's
0: like there is a softness and a gentleness to love mm-hmm. and even optimism, but. Yeah. Um, but when you're fiercely, when there's a fierce love there, and as you said, that mm-hmm. lioness, uh, that, I, I think that resonates for a lot of mums out there. Yeah. Um, so, wow. What a great um, role model for your boys
1: to, have, to see that in you. That's, well, I hope that's... so. It was a better role model than what I was experiencing at the time because if there's anything worse than feeling isolated, crushed, anxious mm. um, it's it's feeling that way yeah. with 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 your kids ha- having with them there kids, with yeah. you felt like yeah. I was under a heavy wet blanket that is mm. horrendous the only thing worse is having your kids there with you so, yeah you know, you, you yeah the, that's interesting the, yeah yeah. so I, that's mm. i i did not want them there with me what a horrible place and they had to be there cuz i was so yeah I had to get him out too, that that lovely, um, you know, the quote from The Tempest, um, how, how did you get, uh, I'm going to quote this very poorly, um, and <laughs> the, the, you know, they, they asked the dad when he arrives, how, how did you, you know, how did you get through it? How did you get through that storm? And um, he says, well, my daughter was in the boat with me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like no
0: other option. Yeah. We had to get, like, I had to get her out. So I had yeah. to get myself out. That's yeah. just the way that it works. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, I had a giggle when I was reading your 2015 story. Because oh, it's good, isn't it? I, yeah, I know. <laughs> As someone who prides themselves on running a whole business of being organized and structures and times and yeah. details, yeah. I had the biggest giggle when I, but I loved it so much because. One, it is such a pivotal point in your story where you um you take a leap of faith, you go with a passion that you've had for such a long time. You say, "I'm going to enter this competition," and then the competition's not on. <laughs> um so talk me through. <laughs> when you got that email or call from from the PR contact there, did you just go, "What on earth was I doing?" or like or did they just back it up really quickly and say, this is all the good news like did they leave me happy?
1: oh no um and 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 to add to this story because it because it's slightly it's slightly elongated and better even because i'm a i'm a really organized person too and i need a deadline i want a deadline and i love marie claire i'm a Mm. big fan of marie claire and i thought if i'm going to do this I, i need something to aim for both in a timeline. And also in the quality. You know, I wanted to create something that I was happy for Marie Claire to see. So I wanted to have it of a certain standard yep. and I needed a timeline. So I thought, great, I'm going to do this in time for Pre de Marie Claire because I'm a yep. very structured person. Yep. So I was aiming for that. And all the way through the year, I was looking for the 2015 Pre de Marie Claire entry form. I was looking for it online, I was um, I'd left messages um yep. with them, but obviously the wrong person. Um, and when it came to the time to enter it, so great! I just sent it in with the um, with the 2014 <laughs> entry form. Oh, I couldn't other, find yeah. a two, well, really
0: they, they do it every second year.
1: See, a, a
0: true optimist.
1: See, a pessimist would have thought, oh, oh it's not on anymore. It? It's not on or I won't bother. I just thought, oh, I, yeah. can't, I can't find it. They won't care. I'll just send it in with last issue. The the name, like, just change the <laughs> date, maybe the logo. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> So, really, there were many, many signs along the way that it was not on that year, which
0: but I. All those signs were the signs that pushed you through and made you go, no, I'm going to try harder. I, 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 I
1: totally decide to completely ignore. Yeah. Um, so, so, when she did call me, I said, oh, that'd be why I couldn't find the entry form for this year. She said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I used to do PR before I lost my vision, um, public relations and event management. Um, yeah, and I mean, I would have, I would have it, I would have said thanks, thanks very much. But you, you know, where are you going to keep all that stuff? They've got so much stuff. Um, so when they did send it through to the, to the fashion um, editor and to Nikki Brigger. I thought that's. I mean, nothing came of that because the collection certainly wasn't retail ready. It was ready to enter a, um, a design awards, okay. design awards as a new designer. Um, but still, yeah, that was yeah. So wow. nothing ever came of came of that. And um, do.
0: like, acknowledged the fact that like they didn't have to pick up the phone and reach out to you. They they literally could have just gone. This woman. Yeah, that's very
1: true. You. That's right. yeah. Let's so she did pick the up the phone and ring. Um, yeah, and I have to confess, for probably a day and a half, two days, I was I was upset because mm. um, yeah. I'm dreadfully competitive. <laughs> Mm. If I'm mm. going to go for something, I I think I really, really want to win. win it. I really want to win it. So yeah. clearly, I wasn't going to win it because it actually wasn't on. <laughs> <laughs> so, damn Maybe it! That meant you did win because you were the only entrant. <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> like that. That's right. That. that sounds so much better as an optimist. I won because
1: yeah, uh, I was first, the best. second and third. But I had myself I had myself um, you know, with my sister, you know, at the the, in my imagination, this is all in my imagination, you know, at the at the table at the awards and you you know,
0: practicing your your surprise that you knew you were gonna
1: win. Exactly. And thought, damn, it's not gonna happen. Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit of overconfidence there. Um That's
0: fine. That's totally fine. Well, that overconfidence and that you know, it's okay that you 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 did sit for a moment and were upset because that's what anyone would do. Um, <laughs> and we talk feel about it now because it's you know over five five six years ago. Um, but that was such a pivotal tipping point for you to say, "Hey, I'm going to do this." Mm. Um, so, help us understand kind of where. So this happens in 2015. We're now in 2021. What's happened with the business since then?
1: Yeah, so, um, and interestingly, I chose to not put anything about my vision impairment in with that collection because you had to do an electronic lookbook with all the branding and the words and the whatever. And so in the press release, it was not about my vision. I did not mention I was legally blind because I was so worried about how it would be judged, either it's terrible, because why wouldn't it be? Because you can't see, or the flip side of that of oh, how cute and tokenistic. You know, I just wanted to I was I was scared they'd think it was crap if I told them I was blind. Mm. Um and then on the flip side, if it was okay, I wanted to be I wanted my designs. I wanted to know that my designs, if they were fine, were fine or good or whatever. Totally separate to my vision impairment. Standalone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I. understand that. Yeah, so I didn't say anything about that. But um, then when I started looking at, okay, well, you know, where do I go from from here? Who, who how do I set this business up, and who am I? Um, who are my tribe? Where are my other blind Australian fashion designers? And so I started to look. I looked for blind fashion designers in Australia, couldn't find any. Um, so I looked a little further afield and there was, you know, there was one in France, there were a couple in the US, there was one in the, U- the Ukraine, a um, couple in the UK. Uh, but I could not find any in Australia and then I started to look um, at disability more broadly um, and as I, because I can't say I'd really thought about it that hard mm-hmm. before. Um, and it, I guess it wasn't that surprising once I started to look and think, wow, there are really no people with disability in the fashion industry. <laughs> um, there were a few you know, token gestures at having blind models on the catwalk in some shows. Um, I say tokenistic. It looks and feels tokenistic to me. I guess I don't know completely their motivation behind them all. But um, So I actually called Vision Australia and said, look, I'm a, a, one of your clients, I'm blind and I'm starting this fashion label and I wanted to connect with other blind fashion designers. Do you know any? I can't find any. Mm. And they said, Oh, well, no, not offhand, but there will be. There will be. Let, let us let us find them. And like about two and a half years later, they wrote that article, how Nikki Hine became Australia's first blind fashion designer, because <laughs> they couldn't find <laughs> one either. And by that stage I thought, oh good grief, no wonder there are no blind fashion designers. It's so bloody hard. Um but good. Mm. Um wow. so yeah, it and I guess uh It had that reaching for the aspiration to to kind of help pull myself out of that horrible place I was in Mm. had had certainly worked to a certain extent. The process of creating and trying to create something that that I felt was good, good quality and creative. And and I went to... um, I'm going to lose my words here. Uh, what are they called? Oh, they're in every town, you know. The group of business people. Uh,
0: I can't. Just like a networking it. event, or a-
1: yeah, there's a. They're all over the Australia, but um, I joined them, and I would go, and I would just talk about mm. that I was becoming a fashion designer, even though I didn't feel like I was to try and make yeah. it real and make to get it real. yeah to get people's feedback because I I thought the thing that's going to the, the thing that'll be the hardest here is, is isolation it's um yep. yeah I was And you bit.
0: out of isolation so you didn't want to create another situation where you were the only one and you were on your
1: own again Yes, yes. I, I was in a very isolated situation still. you know, um surviving trauma is isolating. Being a legally blind single parent is isolating. and um and having no money is isolating. all those things very isolating. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so just just getting out and and doing that to try and uh, try and make it feel more real. and but that that powerful thing of of aspiration. Which is what I had instinctively reached for, and then I think it was two thousand and seventeen. I won an ING Dream Starter Scholarship for the business model of Blind Grip because it just felt to me, because I guess I didn't want to just make more clothes. I wanted to um, to bring people along on that journey. You know, to me, it's a no brainer and I guess it was instinctive that how important aspirations and dreams are Um, yeah so that the whole idea behind blind grit is 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 what a powerful combination aspiration validation and motivation is Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess we all know how how powerful dreams are you know there's movies about them songs about it books about it Every child is asked, What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, there mm-hmm. um and certainly for those who live with disability, that can be wiped out quite early on. I think we don't realize that it's a bit of an able-bodied person's privilege. And when I talk about a able-bodied i include um mental illness in disability it is an invisible social disability uh and yeah it, it just reaching for a dream reaching for aspiration is incredibly powerful and it's taken out of the equation for um kids who live with disability quite early on and uh and that there was—it's getting slightly better now because I've been doing this for, as you say, nearly six years. Uh, but certainly when I started, the strong focus on entry-level jobs for people with disability. And mm. you know, people with disability want entry-level jobs for the same reason anyone else does, because they're starting out. Um, yeah. And but it would all just stop there. Um, mm. Yeah, precious, precious few aspirational jobs so yeah that that's the the idea of blind grit was was born and it certainly appears to be occasionally i do another google search it certainly still appears to be the world's only fashion label that is built entirely of and around those who live with disability so Mm. so everything sorry everything in blind grit except the manufacturing is done by those who live with disability so all the fun glamorous aspirational jobs Mm. That is
0: incredible. Like just the fact that you have not only identified something that you're passionate about, because isn't it great when we get to do in our day job mm. things that make us happy? Um, but in addition to that, have identified that there is a real lack of opportunity and even discussion. So mm. you, you make a really, cl- really valid point. We we do raise the question of what do you want to be when you grow up and we you can dream as big as you want and all of those things and you know, i've got two boys and and i know we're having those conversations with them all the time and mm. and they are able bodied um you know, we're very fortunate in that regard um the the, the most difficult health challenge we have is that my eldest son is on the spectrum but even then his class is high functioning and doesn't sit on any anyone's radar he just kind of goes about his day and, and every
1: every kick-ass artist through history and every kick-ass scientist was on the spectrum is on the spectrum anyway. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Where would and we be, be without like these on the spectrum? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I find more people that are there is no like I find more people outside of the box of normal versus how many <laughs> I don't know many people that fit inside of it. I personally don't. Um, but nonetheless, I you raise such a valid point. Yeah. I had never thought about the limitations we are putting on Um, you know people with disabilities and as you said that spectrum of what we class as disabilities is really broad but if we're only offering them these base entry-level positions and yes that everyone needs to start somewhere but if we're we're not pushing anyone further or giving them the mindset to push further then that is a real problem so I'm glad that you're creating these opportunities and making sure that you build that community that you wanted Um, you're building it yourself which is Amazing. So what do the boys think? Are they um do they love the fact that mom is a fashion designer or do they um just think that mum's mum?
1: <laughs> no, they do love it. They do love it because they have, and this is the other thing that I really valued being able to give to them. They have watched what having a dream looks like in action because it doesn't look like a Disney movie. (laughs) No, and
0: it's not a straight line.
1: Why do people
0: think that, like, I have an idea and that I'm going to walk a straight line and get to the, the success point, whatever that is? Yeah. It is just not. Like, there are so many dips and highs and lows in that. The, that path, um, so they've and seen
1: me of... cry on the floor. They've seen me get really excited. <laughs> they've seen me get nervous. They, um, you know, and just God, just a couple of days ago, I was feeling so unconfident and flat again, thinking, "Oh, who am I kidding? As if I can do this?" <laughs> you know, it it comes and goes. All the. All the time, and um, yeah, but but just watching that, yeah, what watching, watching a pursuing a dream yeah. in action is good because it's it is, it's, it's good hard, for anyone, it's hard work. Um, it's good, I love it, I absolutely love it. And they get to do some fun stuff with me. I think they used to be more excited and proud in the beginning. They are over it now. I try, I try and get. I um. I, was inv- I know. I was invited. Um, it, it's happening on Friday, but it was a couple of weeks ago that I was invited to be part of a masterclass for um, a rather prestigious, fancy smancy um fashion, uh, university college whatever. Yep. In yep. Paris, and when I was looking at the 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 building, it. It it overlooks the um the Seine. Is it the Seine? The Seine, the river yeah. through the middle of. Yeah. And um, and I was like, oh, you know, I've made it to Paris only by Zoom. Yeah. but, you know.
0: Yeah. Hey, <laughs> right now in COVID times, we're going to take where, yeah, get,
1: but, yeah, wow. And I tell the boys, and they're like, oh, you you're always doing stuff like that, mum." And I think, "No, no yeah, one no, inviting me." Talk. <laughs>
0: So they uh, well, that's just normal though. Like that is very. Here's me using the word normal. Um, that is very normal. Um, mm-hmm. and standard for kids, but they just don't care <laughs> exactly. after a while. Yeah, like this is your day job. Why are you still so excited? It's like because it's Paris. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's amazing though. That's fantastic that those opportunities are still coming up. Um, other than opportunities of masterclasses in Paris, um, what else is on the horizon for you? We were chatting a bit off. Um, Mm -hmm. offline before we started. How's the new collection going?
1: Yeah and I often get asked what is the most difficult thing about being a blind fashion designer and I have to say so far especially in the last two and a half years it has been something that is not remotely specific to being blind. It's Bloody manufacturing in Australia, and you would mm-hmm. oh, you would think that COVID having thrown this issue in the face of the Australian government, there might be greater opp- opportunities. Yeah, um, when oh, make stuff here, make things. Yeah. and you just wouldn't think it would be that hard. And the interesting thing as I've gone along this journey in Australia, is the they're so secretive about it. You know, if if anyone's got any information, they won't give it to you and, oh. Scarcity.
0: Scarcity mindset. That's what it is. It is a scarcity no. mindset. Yeah. And, and it's, if, if they give it up, then they're not going to have enough for themselves and therefore, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, which I kind of understand, but it's sad. Yeah.
1: But I come from a different mindset of, um, you know, I'm part of the Disability Leadership Institute and it's about raising up and supporting and yeah. sharing and, yeah. oh, And just it's been so, so hard. And the fabric is our challenge at the moment. The first collection that was created took so, so long, so long. And that then it was the start of COVID when this woman had it mostly finished and then she stopped doing stuff. And then by the end of COVID, the fabrics that I was using weren't manufactured anymore. And it took me until probably just before Christmas to think I've got to let this first collection go. And amusingly along the way I've been trying so hard not to be one of those emerging designers who lost money and lost time and couldn't get that first collection happening because it's all I kept hearing. (laughs) Yeah. And um, you, you're getting an exclusive here, Carolyn. This is me saying, oh, man, I so didn't bloody dodge that bullet. I thought I did <laughs> and I held on too tight for too long. I should have just let that bullet, yeah, but that's through that we, and keep going. Going. We, all,
0: we all didn't quite dodge bullets last year. Some of us did in different ways but – yeah, there were bullets flying everywhere. So I
1: know it was more than COVID, uh, yeah. though. It was more than that, and to come to terms with oh, just like every other emerging designer I've ever spoken to. Yep, yeah, I. It must I be did a, write not, a passage, though. Oh, I guess it so. a lot of the process for you guys but it was so hard to admit it and like <laughs>
0: I didn't say that makes it easy. Yeah. I'm just
1: saying it might be part of the process. A little miscompetitive. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah, I'm no, not going to be I couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, I so am. I so couldn't, yeah. Uh, so anyway, something fabulous at the end of last year, I was invited to be part of the very first National Ability Summit in India, created by this woman um in india varija oh my lordy this woman is a force um so she has a real passion for um having people with disability more included in society in particular in mm-hmm. particularly in india but worldwide and also very much about not reinventing the wheel on this issue all the time because yeah. we can we're kind of doing that but she, Interestingly, she comes from a fashion perspective. That's what drove her interest in this to begin with. Um, And she has her own clothing label over there and she just, incredible, she created this. It's massive. Look it up online. So great. Um, And the fabulous Vereja, I have been in discussions with her ever since we connected in relation to the National Ability Summit because I just clicked with her instantly she's incredible um and I am now I've actually got samples samples here beside me. Mm -hmm. I'm about to send through the fabrics for this new collection and the so it's designed and I'm just about to send these fabric samples off to her in India. They'll probably get sent tomorrow. So the first collection will never be some blind grit's first collection will never be something that's up for sale um we will photograph it uh but yeah I'm very very excited to work with Verita and I keep telling her my stories about trying to get this done in Australia and she's like oh I hear your pain I hear your pain and she makes it sound so easy over there and I say you make it sound so easy she says well yeah because it is compared to there
0: that's where that like most of our fabric is made overseas so yeah, yeah I completely understand that Wow. Well that's so exciting. We will make sure that the details of the summit are in our show notes so people can check it out and see the collection. Um and as well as that we will ensure that your website details are so as you said you're going to make sure that you capture the photography of the of the pieces and whatever else so everyone can have a look as as well. Now, my last question for you today I'm always curious to see what you will what people will say but who inspires you and why?
1: Oh. It's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, isn't it? Cuz so you know what it's not as a, a particular person. It's it's the underdog. I always admire The underdog. Um, Yeah. Um, That's where that word grit comes back in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I admire my, because the first thing that came to mind was my children. (laughs) My children. Yeah. My children. I I totally get that. Yeah. (laughs) I get that. But but, um, I am always just so impressed um by yeah by people who overcome things to to, to to do things that make society and themselves better and yeah the underdog that that's who yeah. inspires me and there are lots of them <laughs> there are just millions of them out there,
0: yeah. And some of them are really—I uh, love that because some of them we don't realize are the underdogs. Um, no, sometimes it's just the person that's, you know, sacrificing so they can pay their bills Absolutely. and to get through the day and raise their kids. Um, and and it's invisible,
1: isn't it? I know, and its, it's so a, invisible. I, I've got a quote somewhere. Actually, I think it was in the article that I wrote for Marie Claire when I was in mm. that situation. With the boys, where I was feeling just so unconfident, so flat. Um, I was, I've never tried so hard at anything my whole life. And to society, it was completely invisible. I just would have looked like a, a nothing doing nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that I was trying so, so hard to, to make life mm. seem light and okay for the kids. Yeah. So that, yeah, those kind of. Insane work. Yeah. yeah. I'm the underdog.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for sharing your story. Um and just being here on the podcast. It has been so much fun chatting with you. I know that our listeners will would have learned a lot. Um, there's so many things that I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And there's so many things. Um, <laughs> but as I said, we will make sure that all of your details are in the show notes so people can connect with you. Um Thank you again, Nikki. And to our listeners, we will chat to you again on the next episode of She Inspires Me. Thank you for joining us today and for being a part of this incredible community. Remember to hit subscribe, to share this episode with your friends and family, and to join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women.